0: to the God Solution, where we discuss answers to humanity's questions about God and God's answers for humanity's questions. I'm Nate Herbst. And I'm Brandon Cox. And we're excited to be interviewing Greg Kokel this morning. You may have heard of Greg Kokel, of Stand to Reason, an incredible ministry that shares the defense of the Christian faith with an audience on the radio each week. Greg also has written numerous books, and he's also a professor at Biola University, a professor of apologetics. He received two master's degrees— one in theology, which he graduated with honors in at Talbot School of Theology, and another master's degree in Christian apologetics from Simon Greenleaf University. Anyway, he's an incredible author, an incredible speaker, an incredible apologist. His book, Tactics, has been influential in my life and ministry, and I think you should pick it up if you haven't read it yet. You can find out more about Greg at str.org. Again, that's str.org, as in Stand to Reason, str.org, and of course get some of his books at amazon well anyway without any further ado let's get straight to the interview welcome to the god solution show greg kokel
1: hey well thank you nate and brandon looking forward to talking with you
0: I am so excited to have you on the show today. Your book, Tactics, was incredibly influential in my life, and, of course, you've kind of paved the way for Christian apologetics on the radio, and that's a little bit of what we're doing here, so you're kind of the trailblazer here, and I'm excited. Well, i
1: glad to hear that. I really am. I, I'm glad to hear that the Tactics is making a difference. And now I, I never thought of myself as a trailblazer on radio, but after 25 years almost now of doing actually we're in our 26th year, of doing a a talk radio that focused uh, primarily on on demonstrating that the smart money is on Jesus of Nazareth, I guess that is a little bit of a trailblazing enterprise.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. Well, last year I was sharing the gospel with a lady in L.A., and I got to refer her to your program. She had a lot Uh of apologetical questions and all that, Uh and I pulled up your app, and I said, hey, Tuesdays 4 to 6 on AM (laughs) 740, you (laughs) could listen to Greg Kokel. And that's the L.A. time, that's right. Mm-hmm. I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope that she's been listening and growing in her faith since that time. Anyway, thank you again for your ministry to people just like her.
1: Well, you're welcome. I'm having a, I'm having a good time doing it, so thank you.
0: Yes, yeah, so get things started. We wanted to ask, how did you come to faith in Jesus Christ?
1: Well, you know, it's an interesting thing in light of the fact that I'm I I do defenses for Christianity. That is I I work hard to give people the tools, Christians the tools and all uh, to clear the brush of uh, the objections that stand in the way of people taking uh the claims of Jesus of Nazareth seriously. And then I also do the same thing when I'm talking with people who don't share my convictions. So in light of that, what is odd about my case is that in 1973, when I was a, a student at UCLA, I, I, I thought I was too smart to be a Christian, and that's what kept me from Christianity, but as it turned out, it wasn't any apologetics questions answered that made the difference for me. I had all the standard challenges, the problem of evil, evolution, premarital sex, abortion. I mean, I just... I. I held the party line for the left on this one, and uh, this was during the counterculture revolution in the States, which now is pretty much the ideas of that have seeped in everywhere. And so I just held all those views, but um, I, I was just actually thinking about this the other day, Nate and Brandon, because um, I was asked this question on another show, and I and I realized none of those questions had been answered for me before I committed myself to christ um uh, what what changed me was a clear communication of the gospel over a period of time and my younger brother, two years of my junior uh became a Christian during the jesus movement he was he was more of the accomplished athlete in the family, all of the boys were in athletics, but my brother was uh you know undefeated wrestler and captain of the football team and things like that and so in my mom, I'm the only one that went to college of the five kids. And so, um, you know, in my mind, I, I, I was, like, I, I was too smart for that, right? And uh, Mark was the jock, you know, maybe he needed that kind of thing. But So it was very dismissal in that. But we, and through a series of circumstances, we grew up in Chicago, but through some odd circumstances, we both ended up uh, independently in the Los Angeles area at the same time uh, in 1973. And so we had an ch- occasion to get together with each other, and, and Mark, could continue to witness to me uh, during that time, which he did, and at first I was very dismissive of it, oh, I don't need that, Mark, you know, kind of thing. After a while, though, um, it started to get to me, and one of the things that got to me was the message of grace, probably the principal thing, because we had been raised in the Roman Catholic Church, and the concept of grace, uh, well, just, you know, especially in the pre-Vatican II, uh, environment was was non existent it just it just wasn 't there and um, there was a there were lift service given to grace, but there was no practice of grace the gr- grace happened on Saturday afternoons in a confessional, and five minutes after you got out of the confessional, you know you needed to go to confession again, you know kind of thing to get some more grace. It was distributed by the priest in that way um, and there was no confidence of salvation when i when 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 i listened to my brother mark i i understood the message of god's justice and punishment that was clear i had grown up with that what i didn't understand is that I, that a person could actually know that they were being forgiven and if forgiven they could know that they were going to heaven you, it wasn't like you wait around and see if you, you know, got what, what, what your grades on your report cards were, you know, if A's and B's, then you kind of get in eventually after you go through purgatory, but but, uh, but you never know. It's not a thing you can be confident of. And uh, I was looking at First John chapter 5 just yesterday, and there it is. I am writing these things to you who believe in the Son of God in order that you might know that you have eternal life. This life is in his Son. He who believes in Jesus has life. He who does not believe does not have life. What could be clearer, you know, about the confidence of salvation? But this is non-existent in Roman Catholicism, which, you know, is a hint to me that the the message that they give on the cross is severely deficient. When I began to hear the message of grace, you know, it's been a long time, 40... Two years, I guess now. But when I, I, so it's hard to remember all the details. But when I, I, that was the significant thing. I that was the message I'd never heard before, and it began to it have have an influence on me. And it wasn't just well, I like that better than some other messages. Um, it wasn't that I liked it, though I did. It was that I kept having an increasing confidence it was actually true, and I got to thinking, wow, oh, maybe Mark is right. Maybe this stuff, up, maybe I missed this and running away from Jesus maybe well and this is a different Jesus than i had heard when I was a kid you know I thought I'd been there done that but it 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 uh, this was a new message so the upshot is is that um I became a follower of Christ in virtue of a a uh, uh, a persistent communication by somebody in my family a younger brother of the of the gospel of the grace of God and uh and 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 it just God got me over a period of time and and he drew me into his kingdom and It wasn't until after that when I began to share my own convictions with other people and during the Jesus movement, of course, on the West Coast, there was a lot of that going on witnessing in the streets and stuff like that and I was an exuberant brand new Christian. Uh, i realized i was running into problems and that i i i didn't have answers for the legitimate challenges that people were raising and so consequently just as a matter of necessity very early on as a christian because i was vocal about my convictions uh... because i took sharing my convictions seriously i i began to see the need for working some of these problems out and and then um uh, being able to communicate some answers, clear the brush for other people, and i 've pretty much been doing it ever since it 's been a long time, but this has been a principal interest of mine uh since the beginning and i I think i thought taught my first apologetics in in the summer of nineteen seventy four so I was a very new christian i didn 't know much, but I knew a little bit and so i or maybe was summer seventy five i 'm not sure, but it was early and uh I was able to pass on what I knew. Back then there weren't very many people making contributions. There was uh, Josh McDowell and John Montgomery and uh uh in the area of cults, uh Walter Martin and uh let's see who else? Um Norm Geisler was around then and and, and uh Francis Schaefer who had a, a big impact on me, bigger than any of those other guys. Of course C S Lewis was in the background there, the Greatest uh, apologists of the 20th century, but I don't know if I actually read Mere Christianity early on. Maybe I did, but but in any event, the, 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 we had uh, um, we have very few to pick from to learn. But these were good men, and they made fine contributions, and so that's how I began to learn. And, and this is what set me on the trajectory that I'm on right now.
0: That is so awesome that your brother was there to witness to you, and that you got the message of grace, and you had confidence. Yeah, I hope that
1: encourages some people who have family members that don't know the Lord. Um, my dad was a crusty old guy, and he became a Christian when he was he was seventy. Wow! And uh, then he died when he was he had just turned seventy two. So he he didn't have much time with the Lord, but he uh, he became he, you know you never know you just never know.
0: Yeah, praise God. So, what has been your favorite memory of your career so far?
1: My favorite memory of my career—you mean my whole Christian uh, life as a as a Christian worker?
0: Um, yeah, your life as a Christian worker, or your professional career as an apologist? I have never thought about
1: this question before. It is not—it is not, it's not uh, common that somebody will ask me a question that I haven't been asked before after all these years. So, I'm just thinking about what. What came to mind just kind of instantly i uh, I will well here well here's one thing and this this is almost frivolous, but um it's not profound, but then the other one it, it is profound um uh, this just as an apologist um I remember the first time that I was cited in somebody else's book <laughs> i uh, I thought, oh my I was really. I was really, really flattered in my heart about that, you know. That, so this was, this was significant to me, that, that, that someone would consider my words significant enough to cite. Um, so that was a huge deal. Um, that's the one I think is a little bit frivolous, but it really did tickle me. Uh, let me tell you what, the other thing that came to mind, it's a favorite memory because of the role it played in my life. And it it really made a difference to set the trajectory of my life. Back in 1973 in the summer, before I became a Christian, I was on a bus um, in Santa Monica, uh, and there was a girl sitting in front of me reading her Bible. Actually, I wasn't interested in the Bible. I was interested in the girl. (laughs) So I started talking to her, and she was only interested in... uh, and telling me about Christ, you know, and so her her name was Adrian Thatcher. I remember her name and so um she ended up uh well in our conversation well she ended up she ended up um getting off very near my stop, so I thought i'd you know I'd walk her to her her place uh, hope springs eternal you know and i uh, she, she we got to the door and she turned around I think she said goodbye and she walked in close the door. I never saw her again in my life, but three months later I became a Christian. And when I became a Christian, I remembered something she had said about a Bible study she was attending in Westwood Village, and and uh, it was called the Jesus Christ Life Light and Powerhouse, and it was actually a Christian community that had Wednesday night Bible study, and um, so when I when I became a Christian, I thought, well, maybe I'll I'll uh, try to find that place, and I did. Turns out, um, within a few months, I had actually moved into that community which was being been managed and taught it was a teaching community uh, by people who are who, who had left campus crusade for Christ um, but so had a lot of experience on the street evangelism uh and discipleship they had most of them had um, been been uh, educated at Dallas Theological Seminary so here we were in this kind of off crazy uh Jesus movement community that was was guided and discipled by and with trainers that were hardcore, solid theological types with a lot of street evangelism experience. And I lived there for two and a half years and got tremendous training here. And this set the trajectory for my life, Nathan Brandon. It it just, I mean, I wouldn't be talking to you here now if I hadn't been. I would have been maybe a apart issues of sovereignty of God aside. You know, I could, I, I would have been a casualty of the of the culture um, even though I knew the Lord. Or or maybe a maybe a, a nominal Christian or, or maybe some Christian but not w- not having the impact that God is is having in me now because of this investment that people made in my life in those first two and a half years. And so here is Adrian Thatcher, one person um being faithful in a small thing. what I, I call it like one person standing in and um, she was just standing for, for the Lord, and she never saw me again. She has no idea the impact that she had on my life, how God used that conversation. But this is a great message to me, personally, and I hope it is encouragement to you guys and to your, your listeners, that you never know what, what act of faithfulness, however small it seems, is going to be the thing that is going to be the turning point, or a kind of turning point, in someone's life, uh, uh, something that's going to make all of the difference. Uh, uh, Charles Haydad Spurgeon, the, the last of the great Puritans and one of the greatest preachers in, in, in uh, the Western world, um, he he had a similar experience. He came to Christ through a very, very small revival, and a very unlearned man was giving the message. Uh, and, and uh, But, but the, the details were such that that a uh, 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 a simple message and a simple statement to Spurgeon turned him all around, and uh, and then he became this great servant of Christ. So th- this this is. uh... Clearly, one of the most memorable moments in my Christian life, in virtue of the impact of it, and the irony is, it wasn't even in my Christian life; <laughs> it was before I became a Christian. So that would certainly qualify. Maybe Nate, if I were, would think of a little bit longer, I could I could think of some more. But uh, uh, that really is one that has tremendous significance. Not like the first one I mentioned, which is a little bit frivolous.
0: If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The God Solution. You can go to godsolutionshow.com to find out more about the show. So why do you think that Christianity is reasonable and true?
1: Well, um, my daughter, I have a 10-year-old and a 7-year-old, and when my 10-year-old was 8, she asked me the question. She's a baptized Christian at 6, um, and, and a real Christian, Um but she, she asked, that when she got a little older, she started asking about the particulars like this, these kinds of questions. And she said, Papa, why do we believe God is true, is what she said, almost your question. And, well, I had lots of reasons, but uh, now I'm talking to an eight-year-old, and I had to figure out, well, how can I put this kind of in a simple fashion that but with, it would be profound, too. It wouldn't be frivolous. It wouldn't be just kind of brushing her off. I wanted to give her an answer. And sometimes in those circumstances, talking to my kids, things kind of gel real quickly. There's something that comes out of it. The Lord is working in a certain way. And here's what I thought of, and here's what I said to her. I said, honey, the reason we believe in God is because he's the best explanation for the way things are. He's the best explanation for the way things are. Now, what this has meant to underscore, and here I'm going to use a, a phrase most people think of in science, is that the Christian worldview has explanatory power. Uh, This is the way, in science, people try to determine whether a conjecture about the way the world is is actually sound. So they come up with an idea, and then they test it out. What they do is they test it out against reality. And they, they, they think about... Um, they, 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 they think about how the idea not only matches the way the world seems to be, but if it helps to explain the way the world is. If this view were true, the scientist would say, well, then we'd expect this to take place. And lo and behold, down the line, they discover something that reinforces their confidence of the view. Or they might say, um, you know, given this particular claim, this proposition, or this theory, this makes sense of this feature of the world that we've been trying to understand. Well, that same principle—and by the way, when when your when your point of view, your belief, your theory, if you will, um, matches up, fits the way the world actually is—that is the classical definition of truth uh philosophers call it truth as correspondence, but if 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 you if you if you, if you say that it Aristotle put it this way, he said if you say that it is and it is, or you say that it isn't and it isn't, well that's what truth is. You know? Um I'm I'm on the show right now talking with Nate and Brandon. Uh well that's true if I actually am on the show talking with Nate and Brandon. So it's a very simple concept, but it is it is profound because it helps us determine the answer to the question what, why we believe Christianity true is true because the claims of Christianity match up with reality. Okay, central to Christianity, for example, is the resurrection of Jesus. Well, we have primary st- source historical accounts that tell about the resurrection and a lot of other details that all seem to fit together so that the best explanation of the of the death of Christ coupled with the empty tomb coupled with an experience the disciples had that they were willing to die for that they thought they saw jesus um, and the experience of the the origin of the early church explosive origin of the early church out of nothing A whole massive group of people of Jews who believe God became a man when, in fact, they had no predisposition to believe that at all. Now, out of these four facts, what makes what makes most sense? Well, what makes most sense is the the uh, the disciples claim that he who is dead is now risen. You know, Um, so here we have a way of testing Um, the the claim of the resurrection, which is theologically so central, it can be demonstrated to be reliable as a fact of history. in terms of explanatory power, you know, we all have a sense that human beings are different. They're special. Um, humans aren't animals. We, we, we gas termites, not people. You know, so it's, it's, uh, it now where, do, where does that come from? If you're, a, if you're an atheistic materialist, that impulse makes no sense unless you want to just simply call it uh, the impulse of evolution. I guess you could try to do that. But we we, uh, we have a a deep and profound sense that that we think is not just is is actually true. humans are different, they're exalted, they're at transcendent value, and this is why we have human rights uh incidentally, the evolution thing isn't going to work in that because human rights entail how we ought to treat people who can't survive well <laughs> you know handicapped and stuff like that. So evolution isn't going to give rise to a conviction about a human right to help the weak survive let's just i mean be be honest about it. But um human rights these are these are uh, the kinds of claims that are unusual um, that what kind of world makes sense of something like human rights and human value and 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 morality? The world is thick with morality, but only applying to human beings. This is another feature of the world that needs explanation. Uh, the universe came into existence at some point of time in the past, even secularists are are have are, in unison on this big bang cosmology, which I know is controversial in Christian circles, but I mean, if you just think about, uh, let's just go with their view. Um, uh, the, this this is something that they hold to be true, and so, well, look, where, well, who, who, who banged the big bang or what banged the big bang? You have two choices: something or nothing. You know, mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you something: the smart money's not on nothing. <laughs> the smart money is on something and that something would have to be outside of the physical system it would have to be outside of time and space it would have to be super or supernatural and uh, pretty smart personal so you know you're pretty close to God at this point so I've just trotted out of just a very few things that uh, the order of the universe is another one why do people say uh, boy look at mother nature because the universe is so ordered that they've got to invoke a person They don't invoke Father God, they invoke Mother Nature, but they can't just say time and chance because it sounds silly. Uh, So they say, oh, isn't Mother Nature amazing? Um, Yes, uh, it is amazing. There is someone there, but we have an explanation. So all of these are examples of things that we know as human beings, apart from any revelation, we just observe around. What is the best explanation for that? And you, this brings me back to my comment to my daughter. The best explanation is there is a God who created, who organized, who, who exalts man, made man in his image and, and is unique, who is the ground of morality, and all these other things. Belief in God is the best explanation for the way things are.
0: So you mentioned the limitations of the view that evolution or natural processes led to morality. And I've always told atheists that I've debated and talked with, that even if evolution could produce or natural selection could produce moral feelings, they would not be objectively correct. There would be no way to say that those were objectively true. They would just be feelings, right? Nobody could ever claim that, yeah. that this that is, is absolutely the, true.
1: That is the, that is the, the single most profound uh, insight regarding that issue. Our debate, our claim is that objective morality can't be produced by evolution. And objective morality is the morality that people believe in, even when they say they don't believe in it. <laughs> yeah. And only objective morality—and here's a key—can uh, ground the problem of evil, make sense of the problem of evil. If there is no objective morality, and evolution is just that, what's happening? There is no evil in the world, because the complaint about evil is, is the complaint is the evil is out there? It just doesn't happen to fit our our personal. Pardon me, our personal. Evolutionary fancies. Evolution can only give kind of a subjectivistic, relativistic morality, and uh, and it cannot give the kind of morality that that we encounter in the world. Certainly, that 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 we are we are trading on when we complain about the problem of evil. To put it simply, biology can't make rape wrong. No biological process can make an action wrong. All it can do is to make a subject, an individual, believe that it's wrong, contrary to fact, so that it, that person can get his genes into the next generation. The irony is that, that believing rape is wrong <laughs> doesn't get your genes. Is, is the opposite view of the view that would get your genes into the next generation more effectively. So anyway, I think you're, you're spot on. On that particular point, Nate.
0: And that's where we see the the irony of somebody like Dawkins claiming that naturalism is all there is, and then turning around and saying he won't debate Christians like William Lane Craig because they support genocide, which of course yeah. he doesn't. He's referring to his interpretation of the conquest of Canaan. But he right, uses this correct. moral high ground to get out of a debate that he knows he would lose when he himself, according to his own philosophy, has no grounding for such uh, a moral yeah, that's, that's
1: a great observation. See, it's, this is something these guys run into all the time. And then he has that famous uh, that uh, that famous tirade in uh, the God Delusion, exactly. where he talks about this God of the Old Testament and 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 uh, casts him in such uh, an immoral light. You know, uh, genocidal, uh, uh, homophobic, um, ethnic cleansing God. You know, it's this long. It's actually a really nicely written paragraph, but. <laughs> But uh, it, it just has a beautiful euphony to it, you know, a rhythm. But the problem is he has no right to make these claims in light of his view. And, uh, I mean, Bill Craig could simply say, you know, in response to uh, – William Lane Craig – in response to uh, Richard Dawkins, well, I just evolved a different set of morality than you did, <laughs> uh, on my view. Uh, so uh, that, that would have been appropriate. But, yeah, that's a good point.
0: That's a funny statement. I always say he's throwing a thesaurus at a straw man. He does use a lot of colorful words, but doesn't really convey any real truth. Thanks so much for listening to the interview today. That was just the first of three parts. You should tune in next week to hear the second part of the interview with Greg Kokel. We have more amazing interviews coming up in the next few weeks, so you definitely want to stay tuned in to the show. Anyway, without kind of getting off track, I wanted to bring this home to where it's really relevant to each of us. Each of us, as Greg talked about today, need to come to reality. We need to face reality as it is, and what we see in the Bible is evidenced in history, philosophy, science, and each one of us needs to make a decision how we will respond to Jesus Christ. If you've never taken the step to put your faith and trust in Jesus, I encourage you to take that step right now, saying, Jesus, I believe that you are who you say you are and that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you rose again to give me new life, and I want to surrender my life to you, making you my Savior and Lord today. The Bible says that if you receive him through faith, that you're adopted into his family. I hope you took that step today if you haven't already. And if you have, I hope that you'll continue growing in your walk with God. If you go to godsolutionshow.com, you can get this interview, but you can also get a lot of other resources, including links to local churches that you could visit. I would also encourage you to check out the partner tab while you're there. You can help expand the ministry of this show and how to get onto other stations and reach people here in Albuquerque and other cities. We really can use your help. So if this is helping you, you can partner with the show to expand this ministry. Thank you so much for listening. Like I always say, an open mind, honest heart, humble disposition, and diligent search always lead to Jesus. I believe that with all my heart. I hope that you'll share this evidence and this message with your friends. Encourage your friends to tune into the show. And we'll see you again next week.